Hi, I'm James Atkinson and welcome to the conversation we recorded this week with Dave Benighton and Ian Morgan of Mountain Goat Beer. Dave is the co-founder of Mountain Goat and has stayed on board as a brewing consultant following the Melbourne company's acquisition by Asahi almost exactly two years ago in 2015. Formerly of Holgate and Asahi, coincidentally, Ian Morgan is the current head brewer at Mountain Goat, which is currently in the midst of its 20th birthday celebrations. In the interest of disclosure, Mountain Goat has done some advertising around the birthday milestone on the Brews News website, but this didn't stop us from posing some difficult questions to the guys in our interview, which was done completely separately. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Dave Knighton and Ian Morgan from Mountain Goat, celebrating 20 years. Thanks very much for joining us on uh, Radio Brews News. Dave, 20 years, mate. 20 years, it's crazy. Thanks for having us. Um, yeah, it, feel, it feels like five minutes every, every now and again, and then when I look back at some, some photos of me from in 1997, I realise it's been 20 years, all of them. Yeah. I pulled out a photo of, uh, of Dave and Cam from um, 2007 in a book called Beer Nuts, featuring uh, Chris Hodges on the cover there. So Dave, looking at that uh, photo, which we'll, um, we'll get a copy of and we'll, we'll attach to the show notes yeah. when this goes live so Thanks. people can see. Um, apart from the horrible Oc health and safety issues that of course you'd never be able to get away with in a brewery now, what would you tell those two young blokes standing up there on mountain bikes on the, uh, on the top of a, a stack of palleted beer? <laughs> I would say in 2007, it's funny, it was an interesting time for GOAT. We'd, we, we'd already been around for 10 years and uh, you know we were growing, we were doing okay, but um, really, 2000, I think 9, 10, 11 was when craft sort of really kind of hit. So it was pre this big craft wave happening. And every now and again, Cam and I did look at each other in those years and go, oh, "What are we doing? This is hard work." And I mean, we were having a ball, and it was great and everything. But you know, we thought, "Can we really keep doing this forever?" And then I remember sort of 9, 10, 11 feeling craft finally happening because we'd been waiting for it we'd been thinking like it's happening everywhere it's happening in New Zealand it's happened in the states why isn't happening in, in Melbourne and uh, I would say to that guy just keep going you're nearly there <laughs> so the the Dave and Cam from 10 years before that um, I guess when you guys were, were literally in a beer desert and you guys were I guess literally fighting the man in terms of being a very, very small fish in a very big pond in terms of the, the quantity and volume of beer yeah. that was being produced by the bigger breweries. Yeah. Just talk us through a little bit about, I guess, your feelings and how hard it was just to get your beer you know, into people's hands back in those days. Because we're talking pre-beer festivals. We're talking, yeah. you know, there's no microbrewery showcases, no tastings, no yeah. beer dinners. Yeah, oh, well, for sure. I mean, there, there was no such thing as craft beer. So, I mean, we, call, we called ourselves a microbrew back in in those days and um there wasn't a a category in the, in the store for microbrews or craft brews so we were, we weren't an ex we weren't an import we weren't a premium lager we weren't you know we didn't make sense to anybody so but i think in another way it also gave us an opportunity so we're something different and this is what we stand for we're not one and one of the, the, the big guys our beer is not yellow fizzy lager and that was always our that was always our game so you know where where we we know that other beer exists and it's awesome you know just just go to the states go to new zealand go anywhere and there's more than heavy beer light beer 
and it doesn't taste the same. So we, I mean, we've certainly believed. I mean, we'd believing we'd been believing for for ten years previously, and uh, I think we were just driven and convinced, and also having a, a good time at the same time. We moved forward then to two years ago in September, and the news broke that you decided to sell. Talk us through, I guess, uh, just a little bit of the the feeling leading up to that, um, and I guess the you know. The family's a little bit older. The you've, you've put in 18 years of hard work. Then was it kind of a case of looking forward and saying, for us to really grow this brand, we're going to need to either do all that hard work all over again. Do we really want to do that? Or here's an option. Well, talk talk us through. I guess how how it came about. Um, I know we in 1997 we circled in our diaries. 2015, we're going to sell. <laughs> but uh, no, I guess in the last few years led, led, leading up, I think we did grow really quickly really really fast the the industry changed really really quickly as well um cam and i got into this because we loved beer we'd both had beer epiphanies overseas his was in canada and mine was in the u.s and um we just thought as well as loving beer there was a business opportunity that there was just this beer desert in, in in melbourne and at the same time, you cut to nineteen to two thousand fifteen. There's, there's so many beers, and it's awesome. It's great. And uh, we thought, well, we've either we've reached another point. We've got to put put our balls on the, the line all, all over again. We're not the young men we were, um, and we kind of had been working with Asahi at the same time. You know, they'd been making sort of half to, to two thirds of our beer um, for the last for the previous two or three years and we had a good relationship with those guys and and that sort of became an avenue I, I guess and we knew that we wouldn't be walking away from Mountain Goat completely in you know in I guess we thought we'd leave it in safe hands um, Asahi knew about us they that, that they were making the beer already going through the motions they really cared about this place in Richmond they really wanted to keep this going they love the innovation you can probably see that there's a lot more rare breeds and a lot more activity on the par going on now than there was previously because it was a lot harder for, for us um so i think that those those were the thoughts leading up to that fateful day <laughs> did you kind of i guess sniff the wind and and see the changes that were happening in the industry as a whole but also from the i guess from the drinkers point of view that people were, I guess, you know, seeking out um, the new breweries because it, that was something that they could do that, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago they, they couldn't do and sense that maybe your original core, um, I guess, support group was kind of still love Mountain Goat, still have Mountain Goat every now and then, but they're not necessarily going to be the ones to pay the bills. You needed to move to, a, I guess, a broader, more mainstream audience? I, I, don't, I don't know whether it was that. I think it, it was... There were, there were those two things. There was the one thing that, you know, we, we started this business because there wasn't any good beer around or what we considered to be good craft microbrewed beer. And fast forward to 2015, there was. Um, and then the other thing was prob- probably per- from a personal standpoint, Cam and I, we, I mean, we're like a, we were like a, a marriage in a lot of ways I mean there was the 18 years leading up to it but there was also a few years before that and uh, you know it's not like we fell out or anything and nothing personal happened there but for the two of us we just thought we were for us personally it was time and this was this business is in better hands 
with acai. Well, that's the hard questions out of the way. Um, we'll throw the easy one at you. What was the price again? Yeah. <laughs> it's been an interesting week, or well, an interesting you know, few weeks in the beer industry, obviously, with Four Pines and Feral yep. and all that sort of stuff. And it's been um, going online on Facebook and seeing the reaction of the punters to those sales. And you just hear this, you know, this repeated narrative about, you know, it's all going to change, the beer's going to change, it's, you know, it's, it's all going to be different, it's not going to be as good as what it was. Um, since you've, you're no longer part of GOAT um, and you come in here and you see it, from a distance, have things changed from your perspective? I mean, you just mentioned that, that um, GOAT's doing more yeah. one-offs than it ever has. Yeah, I'll look. Um, I am still part of, of, of GOAT. I've got a loose kind of, I don't know, for want of a better term, I, to consulting. I come in here a day a week or, or so. I, I didn't realise that. I was just basing it on your Instagram feed. So, uh. <laughs> but um, I mean, look, look, this is a mutual thing. I, I'm, I'm happy to come in, in in here, and the guys are happy to to have me at least for the time being. But I think, look, I look at it from the brewing point of view because that's where I was in in the brewery, and I probably think that things things have improved in here certainly from the the brewers and the beers standpoint when i stand at the bar here and enjoy the range of beers and the quality of the beers that are coming out of out of here i think things things have changed for the better do you think that maybe um the big brewers have sort of learnt from the experiences of acquisitions in the past and sort of seen like this is how you actually do manage an integration and and, and manage a smaller brand i think i think that's the definitely the difference from the old school of saying well in the old days they bought a brewery and they shut it down to end the competition and I just think the craft thing a cat's out of the bag now you can't if I can mix a metaphor you can't unscramble that egg anymore you when the beer industry and the beer market needs craft beer now and a smart acquirer is going to identify something or a gap that they have in their portfolio and they're going to want to grow it and make it better rather than stomp on it. It's probably um, an appropriate time of the interview to introduce um, Ian, Ian Morgan, the, the goat head brewer. Um, for those who don't know about your role in the business and your background, how did you get involved with Mountain Goat? Uh, fairly early on as a, as a customer. I moved here from, the, from Seattle in 2000, and um, as Dave mentioned, I came here from Seattle. We had a brew pub on the corner was doing three different types of IPAs, nitro-infused beers, hand pumps, the whole deal, and um, rolled into a bar in, in Melbourne, and someone said, well, you get your choice of two beers. You can have a heavy or a light, but you can have it in a pot or a pint. So there's, I guess there's four different options there. Um, it wasn't too long until I found about this place in Richmond. We were living near Punt Road <clears throat> that uh, had an open night one night a week, and uh, they were doing craft beers, so I made sure I got myself down here for every Friday night I could and uh, sought it out where I could find it. Um, from there, kind of did desk jobs for a while, went back to the States for a bit and came back in 2008, at which point decided to make brewing my career. Um, started with Holgate, was there for several years. And Facebook's memories tells me I've been here now for two and a half years. It's been a great ride so far. Ian, you've also, I guess, uh, have got a, a double mountain goat connection kind of unintentionally because you worked at the big house uh, over at Asahi for a little while as well. What, I guess talk us through the, the main differences and, and how it helps you as a, as a brewer now to have played at Holgate, which was, I guess, very similar to, to what Mountain Goat was then as well, effectively a, a family business. 
to then go into what's, I guess, more, you know, industrialised or, or commoditised, um, you know, beer environment and the, the skills and the everything that you pick up there. And then, I guess, bringing it back to the, the smaller scale. Yeah. Um, it was a good experience, I think, primarily from some, making some connections, uh, meeting the people there who I'd be continuing to work with when I moved to Mountain Goat. Um, from a personal uh, development standpoint, yeah, it was, it, was, it was eye-opening. The focus on quality, to have a whole room of people whose job it is to just make sure the beer is going to be consistent and is going to be good every time it comes out of there. It's no fudging around the edges, like, oh, the ABV is a bit high this time, the color is a bit darker than usual, uh, you know, maybe no one will notice, but to have that level of, um, of focus on quality and consistency. Um, was great to see there. Not to say there's craft brewers who are, who are integrating that into into their operations all the time now, um, but to see the resources that a large brewery like Asahi at Elaverton had um, was good to see. And good to know, being at GOAT, that our beer is receiving that level of care. What about your personal brewing ethos, Ian? Do you have particular styles that, that you love to make? Um, probably hoppy beers. I think the, the rollout of beers that have come out of here um, reflect that, uh, not just for myself. Most of our team here are hop heads, so we, we go for the IPAs more often than not. You've got a, a pretty formidable track record in the last couple of years at the AIBAs um, with the IPAs, that's for sure. Yeah, um, no, it, was, it was pretty exciting to get up on stage a couple times last year. Um, it's just, to me, it's testament to the people I'm working with here. Um, we've got team of five in the production, um, backed up by great sales team, administrative team, um, make sure the beer gets out there and all the bills get paid um, so we can keep making beer. It's important. Um, and you see a lot of consistency in the people who um, have been here from before the sale and afterwards. It shows how much heart goes into the beer and how much uh, we kind of feel a personal sense of loyalty to goat. Summer Ale, when it was introduced, the core range really took off. And I, if um, I'm correct, I believe it sort of very quickly became, you know, the, the number one selling beer in the range. Is that still the case? Is, is it still the top seller? And where does that, where's that left sort of steam and, uh, and some of the beers that have been around for a bit longer? Um, steam is actually our biggest seller. Um, has been since, uh, I think... Well, we introduced it, I think, in 2009, and in 2010 became our biggest seller. So that was that was that, that was nice. It's a funny story. I'd been resisting doing a a quaffing style beer for a few years pre- previously, and, and uh, finally, okay, I'll do a we'll do a quaff. Uh, you know, inverted commas. And as soon as we released it, it just went bang, and it changed the, the business overnight. Became our top seller. So I kind of had to eat a bit of humble pie at a board meeting or two after that. But um. Uh, but no, it's always it's it's remained. It's always grown. It's continuing continuing to growing. I think summer summer's a bit seasonal. Um, I don't know why, um, <laughs> but uh, it just goes bananas in summer now. Yeah, Pacific Ale. <laughs> <laughs> the words to to the kids out there starting a brewery. Perhaps the, the seasonal thing. You know, just watch out for that. Uh, but it does go mental in summer. But then as soon as the winter starts to come, especially in in Melbourne, it just kind of it just kind of plateaus a bit, whereas steam just kind of keeps on surging. So I think our quickest growing is pale now, which which is nice to have new ones. I think that's three years old. So, yeah. And there's a couple, couple of things in the pipeline as well for the, for the core range. I think um, there's Billy the Mid. So uh, we're looking looking at a mid-strength beer, 
call him Billy, you know, Billy the Kid, yeah. the Mid, we can, all sorts of this stuff. And we're just genius. This is where all the money goes. Um, so, and this talk of a, an IPA coming on the horizon too. It's tricky. We always, we, we struggled in the past with IPA, keeping them fresh because we're so, we so, have so much love for that style. But um, having a core range IPA that goes around the, the, the country, this big brown land, that it's just a real challenge to keep it tasting as good as we wanted it to. So we want to, it's always on the, the horizon for us to make a, a core IPA. Yeah, because there was a core, an IPA in the core range for, for a year or two at least. Um, so what's the thinking of how you would overcome? Is, is the goat brand a bit bigger now that it can carry a, a, a line like that, do you think? or I, I, we, we don't know. We're not sure. We're still looking. It's just one of those things that's burning away on the back burner. Batch sizes, um, thing, all those things come, come into play. We're looking at getting a bottling line a small pack bottling line for here as well in, in Richmond so that gives us more flexibility in that small pack format so we might be able to bit, be a little bit more commando about our 330ml beers in the future which, which should be cool too. Would you look out and see if Maxine was perhaps up for resale or would you never welcome her back into this place again? No, no. Maxine went to a, a good place. <laughs> and we should point out Maxine is not a, an ex-employee as such. It was a, a Framax brand was it i think framax brand that um pre previous head head brewer jane jane lewis now of two birds dubbed maxine because um she was a she was a pretty emotional she was a temperamental bitch i think is how jane uh, delightfully describes her speaking of, of of jane and and others we're sitting here in the shadow of uh, a couple of pallets and we should point out for those listening we've um radio brews news has gone live today we are at mountain goat in richmond um and we're sitting here in uh, in the shadow of a, a couple of pallets of Back to the brewer. Um, talk us through that, and just I guess the um, just how important it's been to to have been able to maintain those relationships with with people who, at the end of the day, without putting too fine a point on it, you um, I guess nurtured and sent out into the world to sort of spread the craft beer to an extent by uh, you know being a bit of an incubator for for good brewers. Ah, uh, perhaps we got just as much from all those those people as, as well. So it was you know it was a two way street for sure. But I mean the the, the twenty year brew. The back to the the brewer. We've been running a bit of a movie theme this year for those those watching closely. We had Silence of the Rees um, earlier. We had uh, what else? What, what else do we have? Ian? Attack of the Killer Hops and Pulp Fiction. So we've kind of had this little theme going. So we thought for the the, the twenty years we'd go back to the to the brewer. Um, got the head brewers back. So we had Jane Lewis, uh, David Edney, who's now selling us hops. Um, so we got the, the finest hops for this beer. And obviously Ian and I, they got me back on the tools in inverted commas as well for, for that. So it's a double steam ale. We thought we'd somehow harken back to an old or a core beer. So it's basically a, uh, a big northeast IPA, probably slow on bitterness. It's a bit of a mongrel, really. But that's what you get when you get too many chefs, I think. Well, I think it's interesting you call it a mongrel because I recall one of my earliest conversations uh, when we first met was, you know, how do you describe Hightail? And you said, well, it's a bit of a crazy mongrel or a, a hybrid mongrel because it was it was hoppy, but it was amber. And it was kind of a bit American, but it was kind of a bit English. And then it had some Australian hops in it as well. So is that all... It, I, 
that's not such a bad thing. No, no, no. I completely stand by that. It was um, the malt bill was very English, you know, English ale, but it was all New World hops, and uh, and it was an American ale. Yes, right, right from the start, and really hasn't changed that much since. Um, so yeah, the term that always came to my head was a bit a bit of a mongrel. Yeah. Hightail, how, talk us through, I guess, your, your feelings for, for Hightail, because it, it wasn't just the beer that started Mountain Goat, it was, for many people, myself included, it was one of those beers that really started people on their, I guess, their Australian craft journey. Oh, look, that's, um, I mean, I, I love hearing that, and I'm flattered and, and humbled by, by those kind of words, and, and I certainly have an absolute soft spot, an emotional spot for Hightail, because it was... That that first commercial beer, we we played around with it a few years beforehand, um, and it's been the the constant, that one constant that's always been through. And I still love, I still love even drinking a hightail every now and again. So yeah, and I love that it's survived. It's a survivor. Is it effectively the same, the same beer? Yeah, oh, I think we've tweaked little things in it. A couple of years ago, we'd, we'd seen where it saw where it had been tweaked, and we tweaked it back to a, a closer recipe to the original. If anyone picked up on that about two years ago, but that's it did change a bit. So, is that in terms of availability of hops, or we are sensing that the you know the, the the drinker's palate was changing, and so perhaps we need to kind of move with that? But no, now we'll come back to it. Or well, I think it was it'd been kind of nudged here and there to keep it um, you know, keep the color right, keep the bitterness right, and winded through things, and we found you know. For example, um, for a long time, we didn't realize how much bitterness we were picking up in the whirlpool. So, hightails started getting more and more bitter. So we dropped the hops down again, and now we're able to get more um, exact readings of our IBUs. So, all those things combined to take us to a slightly different place, and we want to get back where we started, which was really a fantastic beer to begin with. So interestingly, for I guess for those James who talk about um, you know you you can't taste the independence, but you can certainly taste the quality. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Dave, what's next? Tell us uh, your one day, two days a week, you know, as, as you please. What's, what, what, what does Dave Benighton do now? Considering you think back to effectively 20 years, odd years of, of getting up very early and presumably getting home fairly late, you know, reintroducing yourself to the family when you got home, reminding them who you are. What do you do now? I'm not going to start another brewery. Um, <clears throat> I've actually, these, these last... Two, two years have been awesome to just actually re- reconnect or well not reconnect but have some great family time I've had um, you know it was 18 years of ass up head down lots of travel towards the end and it was you know that takes its toll you know you're drinking at the same time and having a ball but um, it's been just so good to have a breath and I'm you know I'm running around after the kids now Kate's busy at work you know it's kind of been a a little bit of a tag team there and I'm just not I'm not really I mean I'm open to opportunities but I'm not really looking too it's too hard learned a new musical instrument or have you you know done a bit of short course study or I did I did do a a uh, a happiness course at Berkeley I can't remember what, what it was called now the Oh, you know that that was very fluffy and light, and it, you know just what's what's important in life in life, and you know one of those things. It was just a six week online thing. That 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 was great. Um, I keep picking up the banjo. Very good instrument to sound really rubbish on, and uh, but yeah, that's 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 as far as furthering Dave has got. 
And so uh, looking forward, I guess, to the, the next couple of years, I'm assuming that um, you don't have, I guess, the you know the financial worries that you do when you when you're a, you know a, a business owner operator who's who sort of started from scratch. Um, do you kind of feel like, well, you know, I'm just going to see what I feel like doing, and you know, if there's another short course in I don't know Tibetan mouth singing or whatever, you know, no, I'm not going to. No, there's no Tibetans on on the list. I'm just open to things. I mean, it could be anything. Um, but I don't think it'll be a, a, a brewery is the one thing. I used, I used to work in a bank before this, and I'm probably not going to go work in a bank again either. So I've got a long list of things that I, that I don't w- want to do and the list of things that I, that I think I will do is shorter. But that's all right. Ian, what sort of responsibility do you, um, I guess, feel upon your shoulders in that, you know, we've, we've just sort of been talking about this brand that had existed for quite a while before you were even in Australia... And you're now, I guess, effectively the um, you know the person who who is charged with the stewardship of that brand in terms of the the physical beer. You know, like you say, you've got you've got a great team around you who can look after the marketing, the sales, um, all those kind of things. You know, the social media side. I think some really good people um, from who who are really good at doing that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, when the rubber hits the road, it's the beer that people know and love Mountain Goat for. It's an absolutely crushing responsibility. I can't sleep at night anymore. No, it's um, it's great. I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, uh, working to, on the back to the brewer um, brew day with Dave and Jane and, and Dave. Um, not to mention all the other people who've been part of Mountain Goat over the years who kind of saw throughout the 20th birthday festivities. Um, look, it's been a great generator for a lot of brewing talent in Australia. Um, and we just want to keep that going. Um, for me, it's about making sure we're making the best beer we can, uh, keeping in mind what a loyal customer base we've had for a long time, and also moving beyond that. You can't just keep speaking to the same 1% who um, have had a, been drinking Go for 20 years. Um, that's been a great part of being part of Asahi and getting the beer out there to more people. Kind of touching on it before, uh, you know, how, how long has it been since you could go into a a country pub and be guaranteed there'd be at least a pale ale on tap um, maybe two uh, we were just camping in the Grampians and down to the Otways and we stopped the last pub before you turned down into the National Park and I think they had four taps only one of which was a, a multinational lager and there's a group of guys in there lumberjacks and hippies and everything and they're drinking all sorts of stuff I mean how great is that that's where we've gotten in Australia um, so I want to make sure that Mountain Goat is still part of that story you're still enjoying your role, I guess. But um, there's obviously some responsibility uh, and perhaps you know, a little bit of desk jockey work, but effect, but but pretty much still hands-on. Do you see yourself uh, wanting to, I guess, get to the stage, you know, that that Dave achieved, where you know you didn't have to touch a mash paddle for the best part of ten years? Um, I didn't put the skin in the game that Dave did. I, I should have started a brewery twenty years ago. Um, no, it's uh, look. I love brewing. For me, uh, my capital's been my labour. Um, I guess at some point the knees will give out. Road to work today. It's ride to work day, by the way. Hope everyone rode their bike. Um, hopefully that'll keep the knees nice and healthy for a while. Allow me to scramble under tanks and change hoses and that kind of thing. Um, but no, it's it's a. At this point, I'm just looking at developing into those new skills, uh, managing people, managing the ins and outs of a brewery, rather than just being focused on what I'm doing that day in terms of you know producing some wort or doing the cellaring that kind of thing. 
can you see though in your future would you like to have your own brand based on I guess what you and I'm not trying to you know get you the sack or you know move move you on or anything in <laughs> any way shape or form but just you know down the track you look at I guess uh, as as Dave was saying Dave Edney um, AG Andrew Gow Jane Lewis all I think um, their success today is testament to the basics that they learned here and it's I, I equate it to I worked in hospitality for a long while and as much as I don't like and never eat at McDonald's I would always hire somebody who'd worked there because you knew they had the basics down pat and that to me I, th- I think is is a, a key element to the success of GOAT is that what you know near enough wasn't good enough um well look I'm not planning on going anywhere anytime soon just for the bosses in case they're listening uh, HR's got that okay um no uh I think another good outcome with the growth of craft brewing in Australia is there's more more places for brewers to go and learn and, and develop. Um, so that's that's where I see my path taking me. Let's look at uh, the situation where uh, AG, perfect example, you know, he's working here behind the bar, he becomes the brewer. You're hiring somebody now for a brewer's position. How important is it that they have, uh, I guess, that science or that, that formal education background? Can, can we now that we are, I guess, a, you know, a bigger, stronger entity, this, this whole craft thing, we can't get away with, uh, you know, there might be a bit of batch variation or you know, that wasn't quite good, but we can't afford to dump it or whatever. How important is it that, that rather than learning on the job, you have new staff coming in who have got that level of knowledge already? It's a tricky one. Um, I think that's important. It's good to see more people getting that uh, technical basis in brewing before they enter the workplace. I don't think, I think it's still possible to find people with the right experience and passion versus a degree um, that you know you could have someone with an unrelated science degree or someone who's shown the ability in producing hot sauces just as a random example um, our most recent uh, brewer here um, so there's a, there's a group of skills you can bring that still will be very useful in a brewery outside of that qualification a qualification is a good stepping stone I encourage anyone who's looking to get into brewing to pursue that through the IBD or Federation University. University of New, uh, New South Wales TAFE has a degree program. But yeah, you can still find the right person for the job that doesn't have that. And I think that's important because, you know, 450 breweries and counting and, you know, another 120 in planning. If anybody wants to kind of expand their business, you, we're going to need the, the people. So I think people listening to this who think, oh, I, I can't get into brewing because I don't have that science background might be pleased to hear what you've just said. I th- I'd say what occurred to me is it's probably more important for the people starting up a brewery to have at least someone there who's got that technical background or a business background too. You kind of see in the past perhaps some examples of, oh, I've homebrewed a couple batches and I've got a mate who's got some money, let's start a brewery. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a much more competitive market than it was in the past. It's a big capital outlay. Cash flow is, is a big issue. Um, you've got bills to pay and the ATO wants a slice, and um, at the same time you have to keep uh, buying malt and hops and keeping production going. Energy costs are the rest of it. So it's not something you can go into too, with too uh, uh, cavalier an attitude, I suppose. Dave, we're still seeing pretty much close to a brewery opening a week um, in Australia. What are your thoughts on the health of the, you know, of the craft beer or independent beer sector at the moment? I, th- 
thing it's awesome I mean uh, we go back to the, to the choice thing and standing at the, the, the bottle shop wall now and seeing I haven't even heard of that beer you know, I, I used to be able to keep up with what was going on I used to think I know I even knew everybody um, and had met them but um, you know that's 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 gone right out the window these days but to get back to the brewing thing it is that the challenge we have is we've got to stay good we've got to stay consistent and the brewers technically trained brewers is key around that and um if it can't come from outside if we're not doing ibd courses if the tafe courses aren't coming on which they are starting to now then it's probably incumbent on the 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 brewery themselves to have have a look at that and can you how can you facilitate the training within your own within your own environment you know even landing on other breweries perhaps other bigger breweries exchange programs i mean we i mean starting out early in the early days we were not a technical brewery at all you know some of the things i look look back on were a little bit scary but um the help we we used to get from other bigger breweries was was amazing including the very big big one around the corner from us here in abbotsford um it's got it you've just got to always be looking to get better every week so the um the the goat beer of 1997 probably not quite at the same quality level of the goat beer of 2017 without a doubt without a doubt and that was you know that's basically because we i mean you, you, there was a little bit of us not not knowing what we we were doing early on we knew we loved beer and we were passionate about it and i was home brewing and we made great homebrew beers and that was fine but it's a whole different ball of wax when you're trying to get your beer stable and over to perth um it's a really different skill and you've just got to be around all all of it of course you know if that's what you want to do i mean it seems to me a a little bit of an opportunity maybe in the market that for brew brew pubs it seems certainly compared to the states there's less brew pubs in australia than there are there and then you know you don't you, you you put fresh beer into a keg, you, you you put it into a cool room, and you're kind of taking that headache away of having really shelf stable beer for a year. Now, there's definitely opportunities there. What else is coming up this year? Um, any more releases building on the movie theme, or or otherwise? Uh, no, actually, it's it's a focus on summer now. I think about 80% of our tanks are summer ale, um, and the pails creeping up there too. We'll have uh, another barrel breed out, the Christmas ale. This year will be released uh, in early December, um, and we will be brewing next year's summer rare breed, but probably will not be released until January. And there could be a switch in themes. We have to discuss that next week. So it is a bit of a challenge finding space in this brewery in order to play and do those interesting things like the barrel breeds? This time of year, uh, we look at... It, it, there's space. Um, it's more of a time issue. I still have to convince the guys to work 24-7 shifts, uh, <laughs> but we do have, we've got a bit more capacity in here for that, uh, but so that everyone can, you know, get home, see their family, or go enjoy a sunny afternoon in Melbourne, um, we try to stick to a nice, uh, regular rotation schedule, um, and during that time, the focus from now through December will be on the, the core beers, making sure there's enough kegs out there to keep everyone satisfied. Dave, you were talking about marketing side of things and, and I, I guess the brew pub model. If you were, had you go again 20 years ago, would you have turned this bar that we're looking at here into more of a, a brew pub kind of concept? Uh, no, no. I think our, 
our goal was always to to be a a brand like a wholesale brewery a brand that went out nationally if we could our original goal was to be the, the melbourne you know the, the natural Mel, melbourne alternative to, to fosters and so that was you know to, to build a brand and we, we loved having fun with the goat army and and superhero capes and all that kind of stuff was was you know certainly a driver for us but we quickly found out that to have a bar in your brewery was a was a, a wise thing to have we in our previous warehouse over the road in Crown Street we sort of just opened up on a whim one night and um, just went bananas and so we did it once a month for the for all the months we were over there and you know it, it paid the rent for us for the first few years I mean we did I think we did 24 kegs one night from 6 till 10 um, on a you know probably a Friday spring night and it was just bananas and that was that fed into the you know the goat story and and the brand as well and so we quickly realized when we outgrew that warehouse we had to have some sort of bar presence but we didn't want it to be seven days a week we didn't want it to become you know a tavern restaurant thing so we just did the, the three nights a week you know wednesdays fridays and we did functions on saturdays um and i think we were you know telling my 10 10 year ago self i would probably say you you got that right you're lucky yeah <laughs> you were lucky and those nights back in Crown Street, of course, and, and here as well, um, absolutely, like, not just the stuff of legend, but also actually legendary. Um, and I think a lot of brewers um, and, and people who have set up bars and things have probably used those sorts of examples. But one thing that kind of um, puzzles me, you went through, you're talking about 24 kegs one night, you only had one toilet. Um, is it? Is there any truth in the rumour that perhaps you got away with what would have been some serious council issues because... Some of your regulars happen to be all the guys from the planning department. Yeah, well, yeah, there's no doubt we may or may not have gone through the proper channels to get those um, Friday night. We certainly got a, a liquor license, but our town planning probably we and the town planners all showed up though. We we knew them and and when it came time to open this place in North, in North Street, they certainly they got their pound of flesh out of us after those. That was Dave Benighton. And we apologise for the slightly abrupt ending to that interview as we did lose a couple of minutes at the very end. Thanks to Dave and Ian for joining us on the show.